know the word parables we use that comes from the Greek term uh, meaning alongside but the idea of parables isn't necessarily Greek the Hebrew people of the Old Testament the culture of Jesus used the word too for them in the Hebrew the word was mishal but it basically was the same thing it's this powerful powerful tool that Jesus used to be able to tell you, let me tell you, the kingdom of heaven is like. Boom, and there you go into this parable. But it doesn't only tell you what the kingdom of heaven is like, it will tell you what you're like if you let it. If you have ears, and you know, maybe we should be saying, let me hear. I guess the first question we really have to ask ourselves, if a parable understood can tell you what you are like, the question becomes, do you really want to know? Do you really want to know? There's this thing about human nature that, man, we are pretty good at self-deception, aren't we? <clears throat> If we looked into science, it agrees with us in that. <clears throat> There's a number of um, uh, surveys and studies done, and we find that people are very given to overestimate themselves, to uh, underestimate their, their, or minimize their flaws, or to rationalize away their mistakes and weaknesses. Quick scenario, you're driving down the road, Somebody jams their brakes on in front of you and you almost go into them. What do you think of that driver? What a bad driver. What's he doing? That's not good. You're out on the road and uh, a squirrel runs out in front of your car and you're a, you're a true pacifist, uh, tender-hearted person like Norma Robertson and so you slam on your brakes and somebody behind you almost hits you. And what do you, what do you think of yourself? Well, I'm a, I'm a good person, I'm trying to save a squirrel. You have a reason for yourself, not necessarily for the other person. We have a way of, of rationalizing ourselves. Scripture, way back in the time of Jeremiah, simply put it this way, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? Come back to the question. Parables are strong. They will tell you about yourself, but do you really want to know? We've uh, moved from parables in a collection of the kingdom of heaven is like to uh, parables that are really about the human condition. We're in a section of scripture, Matthew 13, 1 through 23. And this part of the, the uh, chapter is like a holy Oreo. <laughs> Bet you didn't expect to see that, did you? The top layer of this delicious cookie is the story itself. The cream in the middle is the strategy of Jesus. And the bottom layer of cookie is the secret that Jesus reveals. And um, I wonder if anybody remembers this. Anybody know the Oreo song? Do you remember that? Do you know exactly how to eat an Oreo? First you, you unscrew it. 
That's how you do it, and then eat the middle very fast. No, you're too young. This goes back. This is boomers who don't even want to admit that they know the Oreos. The point being, an Oreo, you open it and you eat the middle. I say all this silliness just to put this across. Jesus has already spoken the top layer. We're starting in the middle layer. Where that's where we're going. And the middle layer is this. A parable has been given. The apostles ask, or the disciples ask, Jesus, why do you talk in parables? And this is how he answers them. One of the hardest passages in Scripture, this is some tough cream in your Oreo, folks. This is how it goes. Matthew 13, starting at 12. He answers this way, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, speaking to his disciples, but not to them. Skipping down, this is why I speak to them in parables, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. This is nothing new. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I will heal them. But blessed are you. Your eyes are open because they see and your ears because they hear. The purpose of a parable, even from the Hebrew culture, is this. You take a commonly understood point uh, illustration from, say, nature. Then you put it alongside, it is like, and then you give a deeper spiritual truth that uh, is not so easy to understand. What's the point of a parable is this. The listener has to dig. The listener has to dig. It takes commitment. It takes an openness to what the Holy Spirit will tell you when you hear it. And it will require that you be brutally honest with yourself. There are very few of us and very seldom in occasions where any of us are really brutally honest with ourselves. Now I want you to keep in mind Jesus is talking to the church people of his time. These are all people who would tell you they're religious folks for the most part. So he's talking in parables in this prophecy, in this, this strategy to church people. That should cause us to perk up and, and uh, take notice. Why is he doing this? He's weeding out the merely curious. He's weeding out the culturally religious. He's weeding out those who were only partially open. He's weeding out the casual follower uh, and those who really don't want to know the truth. For all they say and all they do, they really 
don't want to know the truth about themselves or about God. And the reason I start with this is because those, pe those people that are those church people are still the church people of today. Those people and the principles by which Jesus is talking is still a reality to our very day. And it's a sobering thought if you stop and think about this. There are people in churches all over the world, all over the world this very day, and they're sitting there and they're attending a message just like you are. And they're hearing and not perceiving. Not all of them, not all church people, but many in the churches. They are looking at Bibles. They're looking at their high-tech screens, but they're not seeing. They're in the presence of God, but they're not experiencing healing. It still happens. It's still going on in our time. That's a reality. This pulpit is for one thing, spiritual reality as God gives it to us. Now, just by simple statistics, if this is going on all over the world, if there are such people as this in churches even now, there is probably people like that in this very room. There are probably that are be people listening online that fit into this category themselves. It leaves us with another question. Are you and I one of those people? Is it possible that we're one of those people? If we're wise, if we really want healing, the kind that matters eternally, if we really want understanding, if we really want to experience what it is to be empowered by God, if we really want, get this, if we really want eternal life, we'll have to buck up the courage and plead with God to show us our true selves, who we really are. The holy side, the unholy side, and just the downright ugly breaks in us. Do we really want to see it? Well, it's with all of this. There's the cream in the Oreo, if you will. The top part told the story. The middle is this reality that you are listening. This is the context for everything else that we'll talk about today from this. And Jesus tells the story, he tells of a farmer in ancient uh, Middle Eastern times, in place. He's sowing seeds in his land. The seeds fall everywhere. They're falling in good places. They're falling in bad places. And, and then <clears throat> to only the disciples, he starts telling them what this means. Because they have the commitment and the courage to really come look him in the eye and ask him. That's what it takes to really understand a parable. It's look Jesus in the eye and ask him, but you better be ready for the answer. He who has ears. Okay, that's a little tentative, but I'll go with that. So <clears throat> this is an incredible, 
incredible parable. And I know I say that every week because once you start diving into them, they are. They're all incredible. But I want to take a slightly different approach to this that just kind of stuck with me that hopefully will be effective. Hopefully it'll help us. I want you to imagine the parable as a triangle, if you would. Imagine the parable as a triangle. And each major component of, of the spoken parable is actually a line that makes up this triangle. And the first line, we'll put it at the base, is, is the seed. Uh, what Jesus interprets later on in the bottom layer of that cookie, he interprets as the message of the kingdom. The message of the kingdom. The farmer or the sower is really, well, let me ask you, when you look at the sower and the seed, I'm just curious, who do you envision the sower to be? Jesus is the sower, okay? <clears throat> Pam's saying something, but it's sign language, so I don't understand. God? Okay, God, Jesus. Isn't it interesting? We're not really told. All we know is the sower is doing what a sower does. He's spreading seed. That's what he's there. Maybe you're the sower. Maybe when you're going by that guy in the street corner speaking out there with a Bible, maybe he's the sower. Maybe it's a counselor or a pastor or somebody. But it's somebody spreading the seed. And this is where it also gets interesting is that the, the seed is, is not different qualities. It's the same seed for everyone. Same seed. The second line is the soil. And the soil is the human condition. It's, I think it's more than our heart. I think the human condition takes in everything in your inner life. It's, it's your heart, how you feel. It's your mind, how you think. It's your, your soul that speaks from the core and the gut. And in effect, the soil is everything you are, everything the person is. And the third line is the situation. The situation, it's the experience that transpires once the seed travels from the sower's hands, once it leaves God's hands and hits your soil. That's what the situation is. It happens in different ways. Now, here's the thing about triangles. Triangles aren't all the same shape, are they? They're not all the same shape. Depending on the nature of the lines, the proportion, you can end up with a lot of different shaped triangles. They are just a mess with your head. I had that kind of morph one to the other. But you get the idea. Triangles can have a lot of different shapes depending on the lines. Your life can have a different shape depending on the lines, depending on the seed, the soil, and the situation that's shaping your life. So how does this parable triangle, what does it tell us about the shape of our life? How does it determine it? Well, let's start with that first line, the seed. This is the one line that we said it's a constant. <coughs> Now, I found this interesting. I went in and read some farming journals. So now I'm prepared to go and talk to Kevin and tell him how he should do his job. Yeah, but so, <laughs> go ahead. 
But I found it interesting, Kevin, when I was looking in there, they talk about the different quality of seeds when they're talking yield and all this stuff. But interesting, in the parable, there is no mention of quality. There is a seed and there's nothing else. There's just the seed. Which means that no matter what kind of soil you are, everybody's getting the same seed. Everybody's getting the same quality. And in fact, it's the seed of God, so it is perfect quality. Can't blame anything on the seed. It's fallen on the same type of people. And what that means for us, even as we're sitting here today, is if I did nothing but read scripture, if we did nothing but show that text at the beginning, you heard the seed. You heard the word of God. He who has ears, ah, you guys are awake now. That's great. The whole idea here is that the seed then, if the seed is the same quality, then the onus is on us as we listen. You can't say, well, God's word, you know, that Pam heard was better than the God word that Kathy heard. No wonder Kathy uh, didn't take it in. No, it's the same word. It's the same God. Now, despite, yes, there are better preachers and worse preachers, there are better Christians and worse Christians but uh, in quality, but the point is the quality is not the sower, it's the seed. So it becomes on us. And this is tough because in our culture, especially this Western culture, we're given to uh, celebrity speakers and personalities. We, we want, we demand the best in entertaining messages. Sure, why not? You can listen to Dr. So-and-so on the internet. Why listen to someone else? The point is, it's not them. If the seed is the seed, then it's on you. What are you going to do? And what you are going to do with the seed will depend on what kind of soil you are, not the seed. In this triangle, the seed is a constant. But the next two lines are variables. One line that's a constant, two lines that are variables. There are four kinds of soil mentioned. Four different situations mentioned. Now, on uh, the uh, Kathy and I, man, we were like all hands and elbows trying to do our, our webcast uh, this Friday because we were out of it for a while. But on the webcast, what we covered was one line, really. We covered the situation line. We covered those variables. I'm not going to go into all of that. It's there to see if you want to. But let me summarize something that struck me with this line of situation in the parable, inevitable. That's the word I'd use to describe this line is inevitable. How so? Why do I say that? Because you know what? Sometimes in every life or sometimes consistently in certain people's lives, God speaks the truth and it just bounces off you. It happens. Sometimes, sometimes you are exposed to the scorching heat of troubles, things that are just wilting you. It happens to all of us. It's inevitable. Sometimes you've let things get a little out of control in your soil, if you will. Maybe uh, it has to do with anxieties. Anxiety is, is a big thing in our culture. Maybe it's that 
It's a seduction, and that's actually the way it's worded in the original Greek, the seduction of riches. Sometimes we're just after that better life. And the next thing we've got weeds growing up and it's just choking out any spiritual life. It happens, the challenges come to everyone. No one is exempt from these things. They are inevitable. So if they are inevitable, that brings us to another question we can't escape. What kind of soil are you when these inevitabilities come? What kind of soil are you when these challenges come to your garden, to your field, to your life? And that kind of brings us to where we are this morning. The main focus is the, the line that is entitled soil. Soil is the human condition. Soil is your condition. And there are types of soils that Jesus il illustrates and they shape our lives in big ways. And, and they're things that are common to the people he's talking to. So we'll kind of look at it through his eyes. Let's start with this, the hardened path. The hardened path. In ancient Israel, they had a different custom than we're used to today. People may own fields where they're, they're growing their crops, but they didn't have highways and byways, so they had paths through whatever, hardened paths. So as long as you were staying on the path, you, were, you would go through people's fields. You'd go through their private property on these paths. So if you were one of the farmers who had a field and you were out there casting seeds, some of your seeds would fall on that public path that everyone uses. In effect, the path is, is the treading place of humanity through there. Anybody could use it. But that's a lot like some people, isn't it? Maybe you know some people like this. They've just been stepped on. Because we know what happens to even soft sand. You walk over a dusty ground long enough and it will pack down and it will harden. And I'm sure we all know someone who is like that. They've just been stepped on one too many times. And they've gotten hard. They've just developed this hard shell. And the problem with the hard shell is nothing gets through anymore. Now, let's just be, you know, honest in our perspective of this, that um, it's good to be discerning. You don't let everything in. But if you're hard, you don't let anything in. And that's just as bad because when it comes to God's truth, it bounces off. When it comes to God's hope, it bounces off. When it comes to God's healing, it bounces off. Very tragic to be hard. And Jesus adds this vignette that we can't forget because this is a reality too. There is a higher power than ourselves that hates us with a burning eternal hate. There is a dark side to the spiritual realm. There is a Satan. And Satan doesn't leave uh, opportunities for healing and hope and truth laying idle very long. He'll snatch them up. What a tragedy 
to be hard ground. The next thing Jesus mentions in a type of soil is the rocky ground. And this is kind of an interesting one. It fits the topography of, of Israel. The term really means stony place. Stony place. And, and there are really two types of stony places or stony ground in Israel. Uh, first, you can have that which is simply covered by boulders and rocks. You see them on the surface. Then you have what looks like good soil, but it's only an inch or two deep, and underneath it, there's a bedrock. It looks great. You can start life growing. You can start your farming in there, but over time, it doesn't take long to realize you don't have the ground you thought you had. So that's what we're talking about here. Bedrock and rocky ground. Uh, let's just go back to the fact of stone altogether. Let me throw that out too. Curious question, just curious. What does stone represent here? What does stone represent to you? You see, I'm talking about stony ground. Poof. Hard. hard. Okay, just something that's hard. Hardened hearts. Hardened hearts. Okay, that's an interesting take, Steve. Impenetrable. Impenetrable. I was thinking that too. And I think over here, I heard Pam that there was a great word you threw out was sin. It's just kind of this hurt a little from this side. Well, sin. And this is where I'd like to take you. Everything else that you said is true. If the stone is anything, it is an obstacle. It's impenetrable. It's an obstacle. You don't get around this. Think what this would mean in the growth of farming. You have a boulder sitting there on the ground. Your little sprout comes up, there's this boulder. It's an obstacle, it can't get around, growth stops. Uh, when you have bedrock, the same idea. You have this layer down there. Oh man, you've got this beautiful um, two inches of soil or whatever. Let's switch over there. I know I'm jumping on you there, Ron. You have this two or three inches of soil and then you have this calcite or dolomite, if you care to use a technical word, that's under there. And, oh, it's growing so well until it hits down about two inches. And then it just stops. It, it can't, there's an obstacle. The roots can't go anywhere in one direction. And the, and the plant, the sprout, can't go anywhere in the other direction. It inhibits growth. We're talking spiritual life. Obstacles to spiritual life. We are talking sin. But we're not talking, and this is something I would so much like us to get, uh, get uh, clear in our, our hearts. When we talk about sin, we're not talking the acts, not primarily. We are talking the nature that wants to perform the acts. The nature inside us that desires those wrong acts. 
Sometimes, you know, the kids, for a while there was a question, how many, how many sins can I commit and still be saved? Remember that? It's, like, it's the wrong question. So there is no right answer. It's like saying, how many symptoms of a disease can I show before the disease uh, is, kills me or the disease is cured? How many symptoms can I ignore and be cured? It doesn't work that way. The acts are the symptom of the nature. And we talk about the bedrock. That's where the obstacle goes in this way. It, it, it's, geology tells us this about bedrock. It starts off as sandy soil. It starts off as something soft, but under time and pressure, it's condensed into hard rock. That's how you have sedimentary rock. Sandstone, uh, shale like you see in the creeks around here, limestone. In terms of people, time and our own sin nature build up a stone barrier. Time and our own sin nature, if we're not watching us, will build up a sin barrier. And it happens to church people. You keep that, you know what, you're going to see my top layer of soil. You're going to see what's visible about me. So I take, take care of that. But underneath that topsoil, I am letting the, the, the stone of grudges, the, the stone of something, uh, a private sin I don't want anybody else to know, the porn on my computer, whatever. I don't let that stuff know, but it's growing underneath the surface. And what happens? Oh, God plants a truth in me. And the roots start. And it starts sprouting, and everybody looks and says, oh, isn't Kevin becoming a Christian? Isn't he really? And then those roots hit the bedrock. And then what happens? Well, the plant may do okay for a while until it gets uh, a trial on it. Do we have bedrock in our life? Like, I mean, you're all fabulous Christians. I'm sitting here in awe, amazed at you all. But is there a danger that we're just topsoil? Is there a bedrock forming? It'll have its consequences. What causes bedrock? What causes that stone layer to develop in uh, the perspective or in the believer? Let me throw out a survey of three things that are recurring and important through scripture. The first thing is I started thinking about bedrock, unforgiveness comes up again and again. Matthew 6, 14, 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Well, that's great news, isn't it? That's all it takes. Want God to forgive you? Forgive your trespasses from other men. God will forgive you. Ah, here's the flip side of the coin. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If you don't forgive God won't forgive. Why? Well, because God is grace. Unforgiveness is a lack of grace. God is love. Unforgiveness is a lack of love. And the result is, is pretty straightforward there, isn't it? No forgiveness given, no forgiveness received. 
The second great thing that forms bedrock is pride or a lack of humility. James 4.10 says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Well, then there's a flip side to that too, isn't there? Is that if you don't humble yourself, then the Lord can't lift you up. He won't lift you up. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Pride, lack of humility, is bedrock. Human nature has many flavors of pride too, doesn't it? There's overt arrogance. Some of it, we know it. You might see it in here, or you might have been in somebody walks in a room like this. Immediately go, okay, this one's going to be fun. You can see arrogance in posture in a face. But then there's more subtle forms. There's an attitude, just simply unteachability. You know, I, I was um, uh, talking to some folks there just a second ago about a pilot I used to fly with who was really good from Nebraska. But, you know, one of the things he said was, uh, and he was really good. And <clears throat> when I started in the larger aircraft, I was hopeless. I'll tell you. But he said, I can teach anyone. I don't mind. I'll, I'll fly with anyone and, and, and help them along, except if they are unteachable in attitude. Then I want nothing to do with them. When somebody's unteachable, it's all over. You can't get anything. And unteachability is one of the worst forms of pride. There's pretending you're humble, but inside you sure you, you know better. Run into the, oh, I, 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 no, Jim, I possibly couldn't possibly, here, let me take over. Because you, um, even though I'm presenting myself as humble, inside I think I'm way better than you. It's, this here is something actually the Greek, the biblical Greek actually has a word for this type of pride, where you pretend you're humble, but you're really not. And then there's a false sense of humility, if you will, by professing God can't possibly help you. You're just too far down the tube. Or God can't possibly use you. When we say things like that, they may sound humble, but in effect you're saying you know more than God. You say God's trying to use you. No, no, God couldn't possibly. Oh, I guess God's wrong then. Wow, talk about a sense of pride, huh? Another thing that forms uh, this bedrock we're talking about is spiritual indifference. Matthew 15, 7 through 9. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And even worse, and in vain they worship me. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me. But thankfully, we also have Jeremiah 29, 12, which says, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you 
and you will seek me and find me. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You know, it's quite sobering. What this is saying is no matter how good that topsoil looks that we're talking about, no matter how good that two or three inches down is, it says that if it's followed up by bedrock in what you are, in vain you worship God. The blessing of God stops right there. God promises he'll listen to you. What an amazing thing. You can have the ear of the creator of the universe, but he'll listen when we call and pray. We'll find him. Yes, you can find God. Guaranteed, if you seek with all your heart. Huh. Calling and praying, seeking and finding it. Just thinking of this, you know, Sunday mornings start with chapel prayer that's all calling and praying. And I, I'll tell you, I... I am deeply humbled by the commitment to the people who go there. Today, um, Steve took it upon himself, checked things, realized, thought, I was trying to give Steve a day off because he's been covering so much and things. He was up there, man, covering the chapel prayer time, ready to go. So we do, but there's not many in there and I'm not saying, I'm not judging, maybe you have your own thing, but you gotta wonder if you have a church where the prayer time doesn't really mean that much, is there a bedrock problem? Just saying, just throwing it out there. And the point of all of this, I don't wanna start picking up people and beating them up on things, that's not it. My point today is simply truth, spiritual, truth, spiritual physics, because we do things and things happen. There are things we do and then there are consequences crucial to our lives. Things will happen that are inevitable and depending on what we are, those things are going to take the shape of our life in one way or another. We'll be deep and have roots or we'll be shallow and we won't have roots. The sun's coming either way. And I don't mean the sun, S-O-N, I mean S-U-N. The hard times will be coming anyway. So the reality is, what kind of soil are we? Then there's the soil that's full of thorns, that thorn-ridden soil. Here's a question, what causes soil to be filled with weeds and thorns? If you have a garden, what do you have to do to get weeds and thorns in your garden? Have a garden. Have a garden. <laughs> That's the, the simple answer. I know everybody's answering because nothing. All you got to do is look at it. Uh, Kathy and I cleared out the, the back of, of our house behind with a little brass strip and then further back and then hadn't touched it for a number of years. We did nothing. And um, I decided to go out and clean it out and that raspberry cane took over. Have you ever gotten a long stem of raspberry cane across the back? I'll tell you, talk about feeling like Jesus. You know, this stuff was, ah. 
All I had to do was nothing. And boy, did I pay a price. I paid a price. Neglect. Lack of discipline when we talk of spiritual things or even gardening. Even worse, lack of discernment. When we talk about, we're talking seeds and the seed is the message of God, the, the seed. But there are all kinds of seeds, aren't there? And some of them are pretty interesting looking things. Maybe we let, oh, that's a good looking seed. Let's let that in our garden and that seed and this seed and that seed. Because we're enlightened and, and we'll let all kinds of things in. We're tolerant. The only thing we don't tolerate is intolerance. And we'll let all these seeds in our garden. And the next thing you know, you've got raspberry cane across the back. The next thing in your literal life, you have things choking out your spiritual life. And it doesn't take long. Jesus summarizes the thorns in two directions. This is how he describes them. There, there are the negative force and the positive force. There's a negative force of anxiety. And then there's the uh, positive allure of riches or comfort. Seduction, as they call it. In a garden, like we said, to let those things start taking over, all you have to do is nothing. Choke is an interesting word in the, in the Greek, the, the concept or term. It means to surround and suffocate. To surround and suffocate. And that's what the cares of the world does to us, doesn't it? The distractions of the world does to us. And we talked about that. That was a big topic in, in the adult study as you guys were talking. The things that distract us. Okay, let's step on toes. Ready? Here we go. There's not, there's a lot of empty chairs in here today. And the reason there is is because there's a lot of people that are out with certain cares of the world and they're reasonable distractions. They're not bad distractions even. Some are but not necessarily. And this brings us to the most pernicious thorn of all. The most dangerous weed is not the one that you really see and can't stand. It disgusts you. The most dangerous weed is second best thing. The second best thing. The thing that is actually good until it takes the place of the excellent. We all have trouble with the second best thing. Second best things. Okay. Step on toes some more. Quality of times with our kids. It's a must. Whether they're grown or they're little, grandkids, quality time is great. And it's a must. And um, it's something we should be doing. But if our time of fun is at the cost of growing their roots. Hear this. If our time of fun is at the cost of growing their eternal roots, the outcome is obvious. You get what you do. We're told to be responsible in our work, to be respectable in how we handle our, our possessions God gives us. We're told to work as unto the Lord. So we're called to, to work really hard and with integrity. 
But if material concern becomes the top priority at the cost of being in the Lord's presence, if material concerns are at the cost of being in the Lord's presence, then your reward will be material and not eternal. Cause and effect. You know, let's enjoy the good stuff we have. We're not saying not to do that. And let's give ourselves a break too. Let's give ourselves a little latitude when you do feel anxiety or when you are attracted to something. That's inevitable. Those things happen to us. But we have to remember, if we ever let those be the main thing, you're going to be forming bedrock. You're going to be dropping boulders on your life and you will put obstacles from which your spiritual life will not grow. Jesus gives us fair warning. It's up to us to be honest with ourselves and faithful with God. That's what the parable is all about. Do you have the courage to take an honest look at what kind of soil you are and do something about it? It's up to us to let the master gardener, because here's the thing, we might be the soil, but like the soil in your garden, we can't cultivate ourselves. We can do some, we have choice. But the choice we have is to let the master gardener do the cultivating. We either let him do it or we don't. He gives us three inevitable warnings, but one great unbreakable promise. The good soil. The good soil. Which literally translates the land ideal. The land ideal. When you think of it, the only difference between the ideal soil and those other soils that we talked about is this one is cultivated. It's honestly cultivated. It's been prepared. It's been deepened. It's been weeded. It's the soil that is ready to accept good seed. Only God can cultivate the soil, but he has given us the option and that's the word that goes with this line. He's given us the option of inviting him in to do the gardening or not. And he will not trespass. God does not trespass. And he doesn't accept half-hearted welcomes either. The good soil is both the situation and the soil. It's the only thing in the parable that fits in both these lines. It's both the situation and the soil. The good soil is the person who honestly hears. So they honestly hear and they understand. And since they understand, they do something about what they hear. It's a certainty that will be the case if we're the good soil. We can do religious stuff. We can be in church every week and have stuff bounce off. We can be busy, but unless we are this type of soil, we will not be fruitful. But if we are this kind of soil, it's inevitable. You will be fruitful. And I might point out that the harvest of your life is beyond imagination, according to the parable. The yields that Jesus mentions in this were just simply not even heard of in that time. Well, how does that work for you? He said, yeah, I can see that for Billy Graham but, or some, some big um, uh, evangelist somewhere, but how about me? Is that you may not even know 
the harvest that you've yielded. You may, you may not know until you're standing before the throne of God himself. And he's looking you in the eye and he's talking to, to you about what you did with your seed. And he may point out those people that you thought weren't even paying attention to you. You changed their life. That you were in a job or a, a living situation and there were all these people around you and, and you thought you were just invisible and you had no idea how many people were watching your example. You won't know. Now that may not be the case, but it will inevitably, please get this, inevitably be the case if you are the good soil. What are you? Really? Do you and I, do we have the, the courage to let the Holy Spirit tell us where we really stand? What kind of soil are we? It may be, in this version, the most important question you ever honestly grapple with. It shapes your life. It shapes your eternity. It's that important.